Hello. Hello. Hello, and welcome to Grace Online. We're really excited for you to be able to receive an encouraging word from Scripture today. Because we know that God is already here, and He is ready to be with you. And let's get ready to hear today's message. A pro football team had just finished their daily practice session when a large turkey came strutting onto the field. While the players gazed in amazement, the turkey walked up to the head coach and demanded a tryout. Everyone stared in silence as the turkey caught pass after pass and ran right through the defensive line. When the turkey returned to the sidelines, the coach shouted, You're terrific! Sign up for the season and I'll see to it that you get a huge contract. Forget the contract, the turkey said. All I want to know is, does the season go past Thanksgiving? (laughs) In recent years... People have begun to call Thanksgiving by another name, Turkey Day. The casual renaming of this week's national holiday would seem to indicate a shift in the focus of our attention, turning the day ironically into nothing more than remembering and paying respects to the birds that we kill and eat after watching the parade or a little football on television. But if there's a silver lining, after all we've experienced over the last year and a half, If there's a silver lining, it's a renewed appreciation for this week's holiday as being something more than Turkey Day. Something more than eating sweet potatoes and pumpkin pie. After this last year and a half, I think we all don't take for granted any longer the opportunity to come together. To come together with family and friends, to count our blessings and give thanks. Now, it's customary for us to think of our American Thanksgiving customs as having their origins in Plymouth, Massachusetts Massachusetts in 1621, which, by the way, if you're counting, would make this week the 400th anniversary of that legendary celebration. But when Christians celebrate Thanksgiving, they usually go much further back in time. They go much further back in time to the Old Testament practices of public Thanksgiving mentioned in the Bible. In fact, our Puritan pilgrim ancestors in Plymouth would be horrified, probably, to hear that we think of their feast as being the first Thanksgiving. For they, at that time, were merely offering gratitude to God, just as they read people of faith in the Old Testament were commanded to do. So, as we think of Thanksgiving today... As we look forward to Thursday, I'd like to turn our attention from the traditional story of the pilgrims who came to America to the pilgrims much longer ago who sojourned to the promised land. I want to go back about 3,000 years to the final days of the reign of King David. It's a period of time where the wars are over. David's various battles are behind him. He has completed rebuilding Jerusalem, converting it from one of the last strongholds of Israel's rival, the Jebusites, into the nation's capital. A rebuilding project, by the way, that continues to withstand the test of time today. And along with the city of Jerusalem, you might remember, King David wanted to build a temple for God. A permanent residence in the center of the city, housing the presence of the Lord among his people. But God told David, no. David, with all his military victories, had blood on his hands. The Lord wanted a king with a less violent legacy to build his house. And so King David's son, Solomon, was to be that builder, was to be that king. 
In the meantime, however, David was allowed to gather the money and the materials with which the temple would be built after his death. And in doing this, David set apart a considerable portion of his own personal wealth to help with the construction. And then, in one of his last acts as king, David also authorized a public offering to be taken to gather the rest of what was needed for the building of the temple. And in response, the people of Israel gave generously. And as the worship service continued, David offered a public prayer of thanksgiving, which we find in 1 Chronicles 29. And that's what we're going to read right now from 1 Chronicles 29, starting in verse 10. The words are also on the screen. Let's hear this. David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly, saying, Praise be to you, Lord, the God of our father, Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor for everything in heaven and on earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. Now, our God, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you, and we have given you only what comes from your hand. We are foreigners and strangers in your sight, as were all our ancestors. Our days on earth are like a shadow without hope. Lord our God, all this abundance that we have provided for building you a temple for your holy name comes from your hand, and all of it belongs to you. I know, my God, that you test the heart and are pleased with integrity. All these gifts I have given willingly and with honest intent, and now I have seen with joy how willingly your people who are here have given to you. Lord, the God of our fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, keep these desires and thoughts in the hearts of your people forever and keep their hearts loyal to you. And give my son Solomon the wholehearted devotion to keep your commands, statutes, and decrees and to do everything to build the palatial structure for which I have provided. Then David said to the whole assembly, Praise the Lord your God. So they all praised the Lord the God of their fathers. They bowed down, prostrating themselves before the Lord and the King. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Two combined words, as you know, make up the word thanksgiving. The word thanks and the word giving. Putting the two concepts together, we understand thanksgiving as the giving or offering of thanks. When directed above, it is the outward expression of our gratitude to God for his goodness and benevolence to us. But in David's prayer of thanksgiving, we notice something more. David prays, now our God, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. David goes on to give thanks to God for providing what they needed to build the temple. And then David adds, but who am I? And who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you, and we have given you only what comes from your hand. Do we notice what David adds here? 
David gives thanks for the privilege of being able to give back from the things the Lord has provided. In other words, David is saying thank you for the very possibility on our part to give thanks at all. David is acknowledging the very ability to show or express thanks is only made possible by the Lord's provision. And this, this is what we proclaim or ought to proclaim when we participate in our Thanksgiving celebrations. That all that we have, all that we are, all that we ever will be come from God, including the opportunity our ability to say thank you. One of the dangers about this week's feast, as we gather in our decorated homes with family and friends, in the midst of all of our possessions, is that we might be tempted to think we've accumulated all this bounty chiefly by our own wisdom and work. Sometimes as we relish the abundance in our lives, it doesn't take much for us to turn giving thanks into little more than a pat on the back to ourselves. To count all our blessings without ever praising the source of all those blessings. But David models for us an entirely different posture of what true thanksgiving looks like. David gives thanks by proclaiming all riches, any lasting greatness, every honor and all true power come from our heavenly father alone. But again, David doesn't just proclaim this truth. David praises the Lord for it. Do you notice how David cannot contain himself as he tries to express this? As David says, yours, Lord, is the greatness and the the power and the glory and and the majesty and the splendor for everything in heaven and earth is yours. David understands God's relationship to the world as a whole and to each of us in particular David understands God's relationship as being one of giving a gift. Giving a gift. And there's a name for this gift from God. It's a name, even though it's not explicitly used by David here, it's a name that's repeated over and over again in the Bible. And the biblical name for the gift of God is grace. Grace. Sometimes we associate grace the provision of what we don't deserve and in what we in no way can earn. Some of us, we associate grace with the birth, death, and resurrection of Jesus. As if grace is a sudden shift in God's orientation towards us with the coming of Christ. But the truth is, while that is absolutely grace, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, while that is grace, the truth is, the theme of grace goes all the way back to the dawn of recorded history as creation itself, that we exist at all, is understood to be an expression of the Lord's grace. And it's helpful. It's helpful to think of grace as the giving of a gift because the ability to give a gift presumes ownership. I mean, I cannot give you something unless something is mine. And in giving, you, and in giving it to you as a gift, I not only relinquish full ownership... I also offer you a part of who I am. In offering something to you from me, the gift is an extension of myself. In coming from me, I am present in the gift 
I give. In giving a gift, I am reaching out to you. It's the very conviction, right, that life is a gift that drives us to seek, to search for a giver. And eventually, eventually our search leads us to our creator, a God who is good and out of his inherent goodness speaks life into being. Speaks life into being, not just a world, not merely a universe, but universes upon universes filled with worlds. And the pinnacle of the goodness of the gift of the Lord's grace, the pinnacle comes as our creator extends himself by impressing his image, breathing his spirit into a giant sculpture of dirt and dust and thereby calling humanity into existence. In speaking universes upon universes into being, all that God creates is good. All that God creates is good. Not inherently threatening, hostile, or apathetic, but good. And that includes us, humankind. The brokenness of a threatening, hostile, and apathetic creation is a byproduct of humanity's sin. It's a byproduct of our rejection and rebellion against our creator. And what makes what we have received a true gift is what is given to us is given freely. It's not contingent on what we do or don't do. That our life, all life, is a gift of grace freely given by God is evidenced in the freedom we are given in our relationship with our creator. Because contrary to what we're often told or ourselves believe, we aren't created by God in exchange for our love and service. We are created by our Father to love and serve each other as a reflection of his image in which we have been formed, of his spirit by which we have been given life. In other words, grace is the essential spiritual DNA of our life as human beings. Therefore, replicating or extending grace is the very purpose for which we have been created. And it's our awareness of the presence of grace in our lives. That's where the impulse to share with others, to become givers ourselves, that's where it originates from, from grace. So if all this is true, if we're designed to experience the gift of grace and to share it with each other, and in so doing, fulfill the purpose for which we were created and thereby glorify God, if that's all true, then what's the problem? Well, I'll tell you this, the problem is not a lack of grace. The problem is not a lack of grace in our lives or in this world. The problem is a lack, the problem is an absence of gratitude of our decision to reject grace all for the sake of going it alone. To reject grace all for the lost cause of doing everything ourselves. We struggle with being grateful, don't we? We struggle with it. As children, we repeatedly need to be taught and often with some resistance to say, thank you. As adults, when asked, we can immediately list off the complaints we have. If I ask you any complaints you have, you don't hesitate. You can tell me. We can always list off what we're unhappy or worried about without much thought at all. But ask someone to start counting off their blessings and they'll have to pause and think. And while Thanksgiving Day, what we're doing this week, is a lovely occasion, don't you think there's something revealing about the fact that a national day of thanks had to be set aside? 
had to be mandated for all of us? We shy away from the response of gratitude. We shy away from the response of gratitude by cultivating instead the expectation of reciprocity. Reciprocity is bearing in mind the good done unto us and being prepared in the right circumstances to return or pay back what we have received in kind. And this expectation of reciprocity can either come from the giver or it can come, this expectation of reciprocity, as a burden we put on ourselves as the receiver. But reciprocity makes giving into a contractual exchange of balancing the scales. Reciprocity is a strategy for maintaining the status quo in relationships. But when gratitude is replaced by reciprocity, giving becomes a matter of the law rather than a matter of grace. We become so fixated on evening the score, making sure we're square, that we forget. We overlook giving thanks. And that we are living in an increasingly thankless world is reflected by the government needing to take over many aspects of our life together, such as education, health, dealing with poverty and the like, aspects of daily life that previously were addressed within and between communities who took care of each other. But grace cannot be legislated. Grace cannot be legislated Because when giving is governed by the rule of law, we no longer talk about gifts. We insist upon our rights. When we receive what we believe is ours by right, we don't feel grateful. When gifts become rights, gratitude is replaced by claims of entitlement. We come to believe we're entitled to receive anything and everything we need. And as the cost and effort of good things like food, shelter, health care, and education, all these things for which our ancestors had to struggle, become ignored or forgotten behind the belief we are owed these things, the more our ingratitude grows. Such blessings are no longer taken as gifts. They are taken for granted. We don't forget to give thanks. We honestly don't believe thanksgiving has anything to do with that situation. We start to believe we've earned everything. And it doesn't take long. It doesn't take long for our ingratitude to lead us to reach beyond claiming our fair share. To reach beyond claiming our fair share to priding ourselves on privilege. Arguing for the special conditions and circumstances that entitle us to a greater piece of the pie. When gratitude is replaced by reciprocity, we become fixated on rights and claims. We aren't giving anymore. We're taking what we can get. And that's why. That's why the only needed, the only proper response to the gift of God's grace is gratitude. Gratitude. For gratitude is a submission to grace. Gratitude is a a submission to the truth that life, every breath we take, all that we have, again, all that we will ever be, is a gift from God. It's not something we deserve or earn by ourselves. Make no mistake, 
Grace is a gift designed to disrupt, to change the nature of our relationships. Because it's a humbling thing to acknowledge that all that we have and all that we are come from the God to whom it all belongs. Thanksgiving suddenly takes on a different meaning when we realize that there are others who were wiser, who worked harder than we, and yet have not fared as well as we have. And then as we find ourselves like David, asking, who are we? Our hearts get a little softer, don't they? Our hearts get a little softer. Our hearts get a little bit bigger. Our hearts and our hands become more open and far-reaching. Grace disrupts our well-ordered lives when we are presented with gifts that can never be reciprocated. The gift of health that a doctor imparts to a sick or dying patient. The gift of life and nurture a mother provides for her child. The gift of one's own safety and security and if need be the sacrifice of his or her life a soldier offers in defense of his country. When we allow others, when we allow ourselves to experience grace, rather than to fixate on reciprocity, gratitude inevitably follows. People who truly encounter grace cannot withhold their gratitude. They need to express it. To learn life is a gift of grace is to discover that to fully receive the gift of grace is to give grace in return. And the easiest way to express gratitude is to share from the grace you've been given. Whether it's making a contribution to the hospital that cured us, donating to the school that provided us with an education, honoring the veterans who fought for us, or some other offering of appreciation, gratitude expressed, grace is extended through giving. But giving, again, not out of obligation, but gratitude. By giving not out of obligation, but gratitude, we pass on and amplify the grace, the goodwill we have received. That's why the Bible's repeated admonition is give thanks. Give it. But giving thanks ought to be more than just words. Giving thanks is intended to be expressed through words made flesh through acts of compassion that represent the generosity of our Father, our God, that reflect the sacrificial and servant character of Christ. You know, one word that really sticks out in this prayer by David, one word, it's this one, willingly. The repetition of this word, willingly, by David, reminds me that God's desire for us to say thank you and to worship him with a whole heart is not merely, again, out of obligation. Expressing gratitude is so much more than demonstrating good manners by writing a thank you note or saying a perfunctory prayer around our dinner table. Expressing gratitude is acknowledging our dependence upon the grace that gives us the life we have, the grace that carries us from this life into the next. The expression of gratitude is not meant to be merely a duty that we perform. It's intended to be a reflection of how we approach and live the lives we have been given. And David shows us 
how thanksgiving offered willingly, freely, cannot help but shape our lives as one of rejoicing and possibility. Gratitude is our response to God's grace, not because we have to, but rather because, again, we are created to be, through our gratefulness, vessels of God's grace. Underneath the false version of ourselves, born of our sin, at the very heart of what it means to be human, to be the most alive to who we are in Christ, is our God-given impulse to give thanks. What is most characteristic of a child of God is wholehearted thanksgiving. Thanksgiving which flows from a heart that daily abides in the unmerited riches of divine grace and in response seeks through the counsel of the word and the leading of the spirit to become an open-handed, big-hearted conduit of lavish generosity, lavish divine generosity to others. Beloved, this is such an important word for us right now. This is such an important word for us in the midst of a struggling economy and rising concerns about falling over a fiscal cliff. Fear, anxiety, and festering polarization have led many Americans to begin circling the wagons and to care only for their own, their own family and friends. And while, to be sure, one of our first responsibilities is to hearth and home, we must never forget that our primary allegiance must be to God, our creator and sustainer, the founder of the feast, the one from whom all blessings flow. Yes, we must care for our family and friends, but we ought to be thankful enough for the ability to do so that we recognize it's not we who have or will provide for our loved ones. It's the Lord who has and will provide for them and for us. And out of that provision, our Heavenly Father assures us that there is enough to be shared with others. There is enough to be shared beyond our circle, especially to those in need. My friends, scarcity only becomes a reality in this world when fear, rather than faith, drives us to believe there is not enough to go around. Abundance for all becomes more than a possibility in this world. It becomes a promise when we trust in God and not in ourselves to provide. Thanksgiving as a spiritual practice reminds us our personal bounty is inseparably connected with the abundance of others. All of God's good gifts are communal as well as individual. True thanksgiving reminds us we're all in this together. And giving thanks is the recognition that our achievements are never fully our own, but are contingent upon a network of relationships that the Lord works through to uphold and shape us. When you gather around your table this week on Thursday, as you look down at the bounty before you, just that simple act, many of the goods and services that contribute to our livelihood often derive from people we will never meet but who nonetheless remain our spiritual kin. Our brothers and sisters, fearfully and wonderfully made in the image of God, the same as us. 
because thanksgiving is living out of the conviction that the very expression of gratitude, of reaching up gratefully toward heaven, is by reaching out in compassion toward another person. And that in reaching up gratefully toward heaven by reaching out in compassion toward another person is the very means by which God in Christ continues to save and transform this world. Because when the vertical and the horizontal dimensions of our lives are aligned, our lives bear the shape of the cross of Christ. Our lives reflect the glory of God, the truth of the gospel, the rising dawn of the kingdom of heaven, Because in the shadow of the cross, in the assurance of the resurrection, and in the power of the Spirit, grace becomes a synonym for thanksgiving. Let us then, let us then, like David, recognize all things come from God and every good and perfect gift is from above. As we gather around tables later this week, let us consider David's magnificent prayer and make it our own. Let us add to David's prayer by giving an utterance to all of the bounty, all of the abundance in our lives. Let us take some time to reflect on the grace in our lives. Let us indeed stop and give thanks. Let us call to mind the fullness of a deep breath, the healing power of laughter, the support of family and friends. Let us take to heart the squeeze that can come from another hand in ours, the encouraging smile that we can get from across the room, or that thoughtful text, note, or phone call that arrives out of the blue, but just when it was most needed. Or perhaps, if right now, we feel our current life circumstances are not supplying us with many reasons for which to be thankful, Let us simply look deeper. Let us look deeper, not just to find some silver lining or a glass half full. Gratitude is not a game of trying to talk or convince oneself to be thankful. No, we need to look deeper because acknowledging, remembering those things for which we are grateful despite the difficulty or struggle of our current circumstances brings its own measure of grace its own kind of healing and wholeness that will not come if we are simply focused, only focused on our immediate problems. Gratitude is the conduit of grace, the gift of God that keeps on giving. So let's dig deep and look deeper and remember, remember those times when all seemed lost and yet we still managed to be found. Let us not forget those moments when the darkness was closing in and we were convinced we weren't going to make it. And yet miraculously, despite all evidence to the contrary, God once again carried us through. As our sensitivity to the grace in our lives rises and the gratitude begins to flow, let us come back to Jesus, the one from whom all blessings flow and together give glory to God. And may the thanks we seek to give to the Lord be expressed beyond our words beyond our words, through homes that remain open to unexpected company, through tables that always make room for more people, and through meals that are shared and stretched so that no one goes away hungry or empty-handed. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. If you'd like more information about our church, please visit us online at gracehb.org.